The Old Testament reading today is taken from Psalm 116, verse 1 to 9. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard me cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. This is the word of the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is from 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 to 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will forgive them, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son, that Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. So as we get started this morning, um, I would just like to pray. And so would you please bow your heads with me as we get started? Lord, please speak to us this afternoon. Please reveal your words to us. Please let your words pierce our hearts. Yeah, and let us just grow closer to you today and seek you more today, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So today, we are going to continue off right where Pastor Dennis left off last week. This is our final week in 1 John, and there is a ton going on in in John's conclusion of the letter. And so as we move through the verses, um, make sure to follow along either in your Bible or in your bulletin. It'll just help with tracking with where John is taking us to. So the previous verses that Dennis ended with last week talk about how God has given us 
his followers, eternal life through his son. Those who have Jesus, who know and love him, have eternal life, it says. And those who don't know and love Jesus do not have eternal life. And so that brings us to verse 13, which says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So John tells us about eternal life in Jesus, and the reason he gives for telling us about eternal life is that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the reason. So John clearly thinks it's very important for us Christians to know, to believe, to remember at every moment that we have eternal life with God through Jesus. Knowing we have eternal life in Jesus is important for many reasons, and one of those I'll talk about today is that knowing and believing we have eternal life changes our perspective on life right now as we live. I think if we deeply internalize the fact that as followers of Christ, we will be in his presence, we will be with him for eternity, our attitudes and our actions today in our life will be different. For example, knowing there is a perfect eternity with God can help us as we walk through pain and sorrow, as, as many people here today are. It gives us hope that God will bring us into something greater. One of my favorite passages um, is, is Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. And, and this passage says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. No matter how dire the circumstances we are living in today as followers of Christ, we can have this hope. We will be with God. He himself will permanently wipe away our tears. When we come to be with him in eternity, there will be no more pain, sorrow, or mourning. This can help us as we walk through our darkest days in this life. Knowing and remembering there is a perfect eternity with God will also make the good things, the joyous things we have in life today, even better, even sweeter. Knowing God is the best thing we have now, right? But we get the excitement now that we'll know him more and more, forever, for eternity. I didn't come up with this. I actually forget where I heard it, so sorry to the person I heard it from. But in a sense, this eternity with God can be compared with eating a piece of fruit that forever tastes better every time you bite into it. So I have this apple, and let's say I bite into it. And this is the best bite of apple I've ever had in my life. I can't imagine something ever tasting better. But then I take a second bite. And it's even better somehow. 
And again, this is the best bite I've ever had. I can't imagine something better. And I take a third bite. And again, that was the best bite I've ever had, and I can't imagine something better. So, in a sense, being in God's presence for eternity will be like this. Being in his presence forever is going to be untold and unimaginable joy, right? If we truly believe God is infinite, and he's perfect and perfectly loving, then eternity will be more and more and more joyful and beautiful. Yeah, so, so knowing we'll be with God in eternity changes how we live today. It gives us hope, and it also helps us enjoy the things he's given us right now. So the rest of the passage that we'll go into really flows from one idea to the next. And we're going to see John really build off of his ideas. And so, and so please look at your, your Bibles and read with me verses 14 and 15. John says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So we can have confidence that we can be sure of when we ask God for things that are according to his will, he both hears us and answers our prayers. And so I see asking God things according to his will as having two pieces to it. Firstly, it means praying according to God's revealed will in the Bible. It means praying for things that will glorify God, not ourselves. It means praying for things that are good, that God tells us are good in the Bible. So, for example, sometimes when kids first learn that God answers prayers, they pray for completely wild things, right? So maybe a child will bow their head and they'll pray that God will give them a thousand kilograms of chocolate. And then they'll run over to the window, look out, and fully expect there to be a thousand kilograms of chocolate on the lawn. But they look out and there's no chocolate. And they're completely confused, right? They had imagined a mountain of chocolate, they had imagined eating it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They imagine swimming in it in the summer. Even though the child thinks this is a good idea, their parents know it's a terrible idea. And even more so, God knows it's not a good idea, right? This thing wouldn't help the child. This thing wouldn't bring the child closer to God or to live a, a, a good and wholesome life. And this kind of prayer actually is not something limited to children at all. We adults will pray for things that will glorify ourselves all the time. We'll pray for a raise or a high-powered job or a bigger house or to win an argument with your spouse or with your friend, not thinking that these things are just going to distract us from God and really are, are prayers that will, that will glorify ourselves instead. Praying according to God's will is praying for things that will bring God glory, and our prayers should be directed at that. Secondly, I see praying according to God's will as, in the end, asking God to accomplish his will, whatever it is. It is surrendering our desires and our prayer to God to his perfect will. 
Sometimes we pray for something good that seems to be according to God's will in the Bible, but he doesn't answer it in the way that we think God should. Maybe we'll pray for healing or for peace or for life transformation, but we don't see God do those things in the way that we want him to. And it's really difficult to experience this. I think all Christians have experienced this. And here I believe we must surrender our desires and our prayer to God's perfect will. God is perfect. We know that and we need to trust that even when it's hard. And so when we pray, there's two things. We must pray for things to be according to God's will. We must pray for God's will according to the Bible. And we must also surrender those prayers to God's perfect will, even if we don't understand it or want it in the moment. And so now this leads us into verse 16. And so I'll read the beginning of that verse. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So the previous verses said that God hears us when we ask according to his will, and we know that he answers us. And so if we know this, that God hears and answers us, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters when they're in sin. We should ask God to restore them to life, to bring them out of their sin. And God will bring them out of their sin, it says, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. And now this phrase is, is where this part of the passage gets a bit tricky. But before we get to the tricky part, I really want to emphasize the importance of what John is saying right here. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters at IPC. We as a body need to be praying for one another. So everyone look at the person to your left. Is everyone doing it? Now look at the person to your right. Now look at the person behind you. Awesome. So if you see that this person is in sin, pray for them. Other passages also say that we should approach one another if we see each other in sin. And we should talk to them and we should pray for them. We shouldn't just forget about it or, or pretend that it's not happening. That's not loving. Let's be a family that loves each other through praying for one another in our struggles against sin. And I want to take this moment to do a, a tiny little advertisement. IPC has an email prayer chain where you can submit prayer requests, and every few days a mass email is sent out to everyone on the chain um, Yeah, with all of the prayer requests so that everyone can be praying for one another. Jörg runs it. Everyone knows Jörg. And so if you would like to join, you can talk to Jörg. Also in your bulletin, under the, the prayer segment, it has Jörg's email. If you email him, he will add you to the prayer list. And so you can receive those, those prayers from the congregation, and you can also submit your own prayers. And so, yeah, it's just a great practical way to be reminded to be praying for our brothers and our sisters if you join this email chain. But now back to the tricky part of this passage. So verses 16 and 17, I'll read it again. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. 
I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So the question that needs to be asked is, what does John mean by sin that does not lead to death? And what does he mean by sin that leads to death? This passage is definitely one that has had many interpretations over the past 2,000 years. Um, but I will, I will share with you what I think is correct, what I think this passage is saying. I believe that by sins that do not lead to death, John means sins that we as followers of Christ commit, where we will eventually go back to God and seek forgiveness for. Just a few chapters earlier, in 1 John 1, 9, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we know God, he will convict us of our sins. And we will hopefully then do our best to turn back to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, it says. And so, based on that, we should be praying for our brothers and our sisters to repent, to be convicted, and to turn back to God, as John says. Now, I believe that the phrase, sin that leads to death, John means the deliberate and purposeful, complete rejection of God, so much so that the person will never repent and turn to God. I believe this means the absolute rejection of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the absolute rejection of the forgiveness that God offers. And I believe that the, that the sin that leads to death that John means is that, just, just the rejection of God. And this sin not only leads to death now, right? It, it doesn't let people truly live now, but it also leads to death in eternity. Now, just for time's sake, we'll move on. And this will bring us to our next set of verses, verses 18 through 20. John says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Firstly, John seems to say that followers of Christ will not keep on sinning, but will repent and turn back to God. As Jesus, who's referenced as he who was born of God, protects us. This doesn't mean that we as Christians will never sin. I think Dennis talked about this a few weeks ago as well. But it means that we as Christians will fight against sin and that we'll fight against patterns of sin and that hopefully, as we grow in Christ, God will bring us out of these patterns of sin and will bring us closer to him. He will, he will sanctify us, bring us closer to him in this life. And so as Christians, we will still stumble. But it says Jesus is protecting us and he will lead us to repentance, and he will guide us back to himself. That's so encouraging. Jesus will protect us from the evil one, from the devil, who leads people to what we talked about earlier, that sin that leads to death, 
or the complete rejection of God. That's where the devil takes people to. And in these verses, John gives us a great comparison, a great juxtaposition. John says Jesus has come and given us understanding so that we know the true God and we have eternal life. This passage says that there are those who are from God and there is the rest of the world that lies in the power of the evil one. Followers of Christ, it says, are in Jesus, while the rest of the world, it says, lies in the power of the evil one. This statement is a bit jarring. It's a bit shocking. I think it's, it's powerful. In our world, we are constantly trying to divide ourselves into groups, right? We divide ourselves by politics. Are you left-wing? Are you right-wing? We divide ourselves by personality type or ethnicity or music preference or, yeah, anything. We find hundreds of ways to categorize ourselves. But the true way, the, the, the most accurate way the re, in reality to categorize humanity, to divide up our world, is those in Jesus and those who lie in the power of the devil. The majority of the population of our earth do not know God. And this, and this says they lie in the power of Satan. And Satan, again, is not leading people to Jesus, but he is leading people to reject God completely and utterly. And this is the rejection that leads to death. I really think this passage is convicting for us. Each of us here today who, who knows God is unbelievably blessed to know him. There's so many in our world who, who are under the power of darkness. When we walk out these doors today, the vast majority of people do not know who God is. Just think about how many people you pass on your way to work every morning, for example. So whether you take a car, or you walk, or you take the train, right? For me, I wake up, I walk to the bus stop, pass some people, get in the bus, there's probably 30, 40 people in there, walk through the hobe, probably pass a few hundred people, get on the train, there's probably a few hundred people on the train, finally walk to work, pass some more people there. The vast majority of people that we pass every single day don't know who Jesus is, and, and they're living without the knowledge of his love and his care for them. Let's be a church family that tells others about who Jesus is. Let's tell them who, about Jesus who brings understanding and who brings true life now and eternally. And so this brings us to the close of the letter. John finally ends in verse 21 with the sentence, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This last sentence uses the phrase John has used in this letter over and over about eight times. Little children. And he uses the word children even more than that. In this letter, John talks about how God's love for us is so, so great that he's made us his followers and he calls us, he, he makes us his children. He has adopted us as his sons and his daughters. And so John is really calling them over and over who they are fundamentally at their core, what their true identity is, children. 
he seems to be using it as a title. So in English, sometimes a parent will say, son, come over here. I think John is using the phrase little children just like this. John is hammering it over and over into the hearers' heads that they are children of God, that it's who they fundamentally are. And today, for followers of Christ, it's who we are as well. It's our fundamental identity. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a child of the Most High God. You're a child of the King. The King of the universe cares so much specifically about you and about each person in his family, that he's brought you in, he's adopted you, he's taken you in. First and foremost, you're not a parent, you're not a grandparent, you're not a spouse, you're not a researcher or a football player or a professor or a programmer, you are a child of God, it's who you are. And so if this is true, if this is our true identity, why would we go after idols. To idolize something is to worship that thing instead of God. It's to follow or seek that thing over and above God. It can be anything, right? It could be a different religion. It can be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife. It can be entertainment or pleasure or drugs or alcohol. Literally anything. When we go after idols, we actually are just forgetting who we really are. We forget we already have everything, that God has adopted us and made us his children. We go seeking and trying to be filled, forgetting that only God can fulfill us. Forgetting what God has done for us in making us his children and bringing us into his family. And so, to close, I just want to challenge everyone here today. If you're a follower of Jesus... I challenge you to remember who you are today and to actually believe it. Ask yourself if you actually believe that your fundamental identity is as a child of God. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has brought you into his family. That's your identity, not anything else. And if you don't know God today or you're confused or, yeah, you don't want to think about it maybe, I really encourage you, just ask God if he's real. Just say a quick prayer. You don't even need to call it a prayer. Just say, God, are you real? Show me if you're real. Or talk to someone else about it. Or read a book. Or, or yeah, try and figure out if he is real. Yeah, I want to assure you, God loves you, and he wants you to experience himself, and he wants to bring you into his family and make you his child. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy for us. Thank you for adopting us as your children. Just this incredible, incredible love that we can't even fathom or understand or begin to understand. Thank you so much for making us your children and bringing us into eternal life with you where there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow. We'll just be with you, God, and we'll get to worship you for eternity, Lord. Yeah, please help us as we go out this week to, to really believe that, to really internalize that, and to, to tell our friends and our coworkers and our families about, about the love that you, that you offer us, Jesus. 
In your name, amen.